Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jacob Gaffney. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Housing Wire. We have a very special guest today who is going to kick off a very exciting series that we're bringing you. We have six questions for six HUD executives. We are honored to have Secretary Ben Carson with us here today. How are you, Mr. Secretary? I'm doing extremely well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it's been a few months since we went, since we spoke, so I'm glad that we're able to uh, catch up with you again, hear about some of your progress. Uh, but let's let's start at the beginning um, for our listeners, some of whom may be new to, uh, to 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 your vision and what you're bringing. And I will start by saying that you know. Um, what's really unique about uh, Secretary Carson, Department of Housing, is how open he is to to speaking, and uh, and it's been refreshing to have contact not just with with him, his deputy secretary, but all of his executives as well. I don't think ever before the press has enjoyed such a such a wonderful amount of uh, connection to the department. I feel like I I can understand the vision, and I'm very excited about being able to share your message with everyone. And uh, if you don't mind, Secretary Carson, I'd like to just jump right in with, a, with your six questions. Sure. Okay, great. So let's start. Why, you, why did you land at HUD? I believe you had a couple of options there, and uh, you had to have some sort of drive. I've, I've read your books. You are not a man who makes decisions lightly. You like yeah. to pray. You like to ponder. Um, why did you ultimately end up deciding to, to, to take control of HUD? Well, before I answer that, let me just say that... Uh, in terms of our accessibility uh, to the press, we're always delighted to talk to those organizations who accurately uh, portray what we talk mm-hmm. about, and you are one of them, so we thank you for that. Excellent. Um, thank you, sir. Why, in fact, uh, did I want to uh, come to HUD? It kind of closed the loop on my life. You know, I spent most of my life as a pediatric neurosurgeon. And uh, that meant uh, operating sometimes all night long on little babies trying to save their lives. And most of the times we were successful. But a few days later, I faced the horrible dilemma of having to send them back home frequently into horrible environments Mm. with um, rats and roaches and bed bugs, mold and lead and, and violence. And it just tore at your heartstrings. And uh, I saw coming to HUD as an opportunity to actually fix the environment and to do something about it to close the loop. So it was a perfect uh, way for me to, uh, to do that in my life. The the sad part of that to me is not just your noble work of saving babies and having to return them uh, in, into specific environments, but those environments that you speak of, those home environments, of course, are, are, are some that exist, unfortunately, in the Department of Housing. Um, it, is your, it is your charge, it is your task to try to make housing better for the, uh, the people who are most vulnerable and who need it most. So I think that, unfortunately, sir, you may be faced with the same sort of dilemmas uh, where the people you meet do have to say still return to those environments. So how, so, so, being well aware of your surgical work, how do you remain grounded in your housing work, knowing that the uh, the same evening destiny awaits a lot of the people you still speak to? Well, because, you know, I recognize that anything uh, worth doing is doing is worth doing right. 
and that we do have the capacity to change things no matter how difficult they seem to be. You know, coming into government, uh, which is unfortunately a very large bureaucracy, and bureaucracies are filled with bureaucrats, and mm-hmm. bureaucrats tend to think that the rules are more important than the goals, and that automatically puts them at odds with someone like myself with a surgical personality, which mm-hmm. says, let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So, but, you know, we, we are able, uh, obviously, to look at the goal itself, recognize how noble that goal is, how important it is, how important it is for the survival of our nation, because we have so many policies in place right now uh, that are unsustainable uh, in terms of the uh, funding capacity. And if we don't begin to change the way that we're doing things, we sort of cut our own throats at the rate we're accumulating debt, for instance, right now. By the year 2048, which is only 30 years from now, every penny the government mm-hmm. takes in will be used to service the debt. There'll be no money for anything, including wow. the military. So, you know, we, we have to begin to think the right way, thinking into the future and using evidence and data in order to make our decisions. And that that pretty much harkens to the nation's housing economy. Uh, you know, there is uh, th- there are clearly issues that remain. We have, and the and the and I, and I want to be clear that these are not uh, HUD issues. These are larger issues. We have home affordability. We have accessibility. I know uh, a big part of your tenure is the aging inflation initiatives. But uh, can you tell us more about what you and uh, and this current administration is doing to address these larger issues to maybe help avoid uh, not having any money for anything, uh, as you put it, back in 2048, which sounds really dire. Well, these are these are gigantic issues and. Uh, the main thing that I've done in, in looking at HUD and coming in here, recognizing that, you know, a lot of good things have been done. A lot of good people have been here and have worked very hard. But a lot of that work has really been focused on how many people can we get into this program? How many people can we get into this housing project? And uh, we've sort of changed that focus to the people themselves. And how many people can we get out of this program, out of this project, and into a life of self-sufficiency where they become contributors to our society? And we have tremendous amount of talent locked up uh, in dependency. And uh, so we've taken on a number of initiatives to change this. Uh, For instance, uh, in the Envision Centers. amalgamating the uh, programs from 22 different federal agencies, as well as state and local agencies, nonprofits, uh, the uh, faith-based community, uh, the uh, private sector, and and brought all the things that they offer under one roof. And many of these things exist already, but they're in very divergent places, and it makes it very difficult for people to access them. And um, basically providing people with both housing and the wraparound services that are necessary in order to be able to climb the ladder of opportunity. That's one thing. Uh, Also, you know, Mm -hmm. recognizing that that so many people work extremely hard um, and they're barely able to keep their heads above water. 
Correct. Uh, because yeah. they don't have much in the way of education and skills. So uh, taking the Section 3 portion of the Fair Housing Act, which says that if you're receiving money from HUD, you have an obligation to train or hire or give contracts to the low-income people in the affected area. It's been on the books for 50 years, hardly used at all. Uh, we are revamping uh, that Section 3 uh, portion of the Act to make it uh, not so onerous for people to mm -hmm. use and uh, get people into much higher-paying jobs. And, of course, that does a lot for their self-esteem, but more importantly, it allows them to climb that ladder to self-sufficiency uh, much more quickly. And then, um, you know, we're only able to help about one in five for people who are in need of affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And uh, this has uh, become a national crisis. In some of our cities, like Los Angeles, you have enormous homeless populations. But you look at that city and you say, what is it about this place that causes that? Well, 80% of the land in Los Angeles is uh, zoned for single-family housing with a certain right. amount of property. You throw on top of that the multitudinous regulations, the latest of which uh, is requiring solar uh, panels. And who's going to be able to afford that? Right. When you look at the San Francisco Bay Area, the median home price is $1.6 million. And people are wondering why there are all these people living on the streets and defecating. Well, you know, we can do better than that. We can, we can alter the situation so that we encourage the local governments to get rid of the barriers, the regulatory barriers and the zoning barriers. And a lot of that involves education because a lot of the zoning uh, regulations are secondary to the fact that people say, not in my backyard. You know, I don't want a multifamily housing development in mm -hmm. my backyard to destroy the property values. Well, that's because people are thinking about the 1960s and 70s models where the government would come in and build this big project and then head off in the sunset while it immediately started deteriorating. We don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And now we build holistic communities, uh, mixed income communities, using public-private partnerships so that you have local uh, incentive uh, to make sure that that place is maintained. And it's working extremely well. Uh, wherever it's done. And, uh, you know, we're utilizing those public-private partnerships through things like the RAD program, Rental Assistance Demonstration, mm -hmm. to eliminate the old concept of public housing across the entire nation. There's no reason that we should have these kinds of developments in our country anymore. So, you know, those kinds of, 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 of big initiatives uh, make for major changes and lead people to a place of self-sufficiency. And the more people who are self-sufficient, uh, think about it. Mm -hmm. the, the bigger our tax base, the fewer people we have to support, and the more competitive we become because we only have 330 million people. It's a quarter of what China or India have, and uh, we have to compete with them. So we need to develop every single person that we have if we're going to be viable into the future. And I think this concept of holistic communities is not 
uh, a, a new or radical concept. You know, you've seen it in in other global cities where it's been used to uh, great success. So yep. it's kind of it, to, to me, it's a little bit infuriating that um, you know pre- previous HUD leaders did not uh, seek to be as innovative as you. To be honest, but uh, they, they, they may have sought to be innovative, but believe me, there's a lot of obstacles to that. Okay. Because there is a poverty industry in this country. They're not really interested in seeing us getting a whole bunch of people out of poverty because they benefit from poverty. Wow. So um, we just have to recognize what we're up against. And uh, we, we have to be courageous and move forward, you know, recognizing that you're going to have a lot of people attacking you, uh, you know, pretending that, you know, you're the bad person and you're creating the problems. Uh, Mm-hmm. Because they've been, um, in some cases, manipulated into being a part of the problem themselves. Well, I guess that that manipulation and um, you know it goes back to I think the the lack of education, which is a subject that I that I hear in my conversations with you often. Someone who has uh, benefited from receiving a higher education and is interested in seeing more pursue that avenue. Uh, we, we we talk about frustrations with the press being inaccurate and uh and that's something i can sympathize with if i'm trying to get my message out and it's not being uh, correctly conveyed but you know that is that is part of public education is getting the word out right and so you know you have that frustration so let's just go ahead and and open it up to you so you could just say it directly you know what is an area of housing that you work closely on that you don't think the public is properly attuned to well, there there are, are so many, but uh, you know the the one that I think I'm putting the most attention on right now is the area of building affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent that uh, you may be aware that uh, there was a lawsuit filed against us uh, regarding our uh, taking down the tool. Uh, that was used to determine whether there was segregation mm-hmm. as part of the uh, Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Act. And uh, the, the reason that we took that tool down is because it was extraordinarily complex. Uh, many municipalities were saying, we can't possibly comply with all of this. It took two or three sentences and multiplied them into hundreds of pages of regulations and rules and then created a big board with a bunch of colors on it representing different demographics. And then if you move some of the pink dots to where the brown dots were and the green dots to where the blue dots were, you would solve the problem. Uh, I think maybe they met well, but it <laughs> obviously was not going to work. So um, we started thinking, wouldn't it be better, first of all, uh, to, to open this to public comment to find out what people are thinking would be actually helpful. And also to think, what is the big barrier to fair housing? Well, supply is the biggest barrier. And what is preventing us from building housing? The rules and regulations. So let's use the AFFH to actually take down some of the unnecessary rules and regulations so that we can, in fact, get the the housing built. Uh, And if we build it the right way in a holistic manner, uh, concentrating on educational advancement, economic empowerment, uh, health and wellness, as well as character development and leadership development, that will be a tremendous advantage to everybody. It's 
win-win-win for everybody. That's that's really where I want to put the emphasis. And then the other thing um, that I, I want people to be very much aware of is we're in sort of a golden age right now of being able to get things accomplished because the Tax Cut and Jobs Act uh, uh, presented us the opportunity zones. And each governor has the ability to designate 25% of their economically distressed uh, areas as opportunity zones into which uh, people can invest unrealized capital gains for a significant tax advantage if they do it long term. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of the, the economic benefit that has been derived uh, from the wealthier classes can now be utilized to elevate the, the areas that are economically depressed. And you mentioned the the process of opening up for public comment for the mo- for the most part that is you know people who are already kind of in the know um, why is it important to get these messages out these messages that you're talking about for for education and and getting the lack of supply out and getting not just yeah. home builders but just i'm talking about just the public as well i mean those 330 million americans why well, is it so important to get that message out to them it's 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 important that we involve the public and the decision making because the government works for the people. The people mm-hmm. don't work for the government. Somehow that has been lost. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bureaucrats in particular uh, think that they are sort of the god of knowledge and they know what's best for everybody else. Uh, you know, that's the way the communists and the socialists do it. That's not what made America into a great nation. So that's why we like to get you know, the rest of the populace in, involved. It's very critical that they feel a part of this. And, you know, in terms of some of the uh, assisted housing complexes, the ones that work the best are the ones that actually have uh, resident uh, councils where you have uh, people who actually live there mm-hmm. who get involved in making recommendations about how the place runs. Those tend to be much safer and much better run. And community-based information that that is uh, well formulated is a very is as a communications professional myself, I know that is a very great way to get the message out. And uh, I think building the centers that you described as uh, as communities in which people can come together and and swap ideas and and notions and uh, and whenever they do eventually receive those accomplishments, both in the higher-paying jobs and all that, then word spreads. Like word word spreads through communities through word of mouth, and it sounds like a very you know, grassroots kind of approach that your department is taking Absolutely. and kind of instead of a top down, a bottom up. And, and, and I love all that. Um, and, I, and I also believe in the concept, uh, as the book of Proverbs says, in the multitude of counselors is safety. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been very favored to have spectacular uh, people here helping me. Uh, we, we have a wealth of, of knowledge, very knowledgeable individuals with uh, enormous experience, as well as people who've come to housing, you know, from other sectors, um, but who are extraordinarily talented individuals. And by being able to work uh, in tandem uh, with them and getting everybody on the same page and targeting the same problems, we're able to make enormous progress. 
I agree. I agree. And for the purposes of our six questions for six HUD executives, I have one final question for Secretary Carson, and it's the sixth, therefore it's the sixth question. And I want to end it on a, on a bright note uh, because we are dealing with very um, serious uh, issues here. And uh, I, I want to leave everybody <laughs> feeling very positive with a message of hope. Uh, Secretary Carson, we know that uh, faith-based decisioning is a, is a big part of your professional and personal life. Uh, you took your time uh, when deciding for the nomination, for example, to lead HUD. Uh, you've also described in this conversation kind of a surgeon's mentality versus a bureaucrat's mentality. Uh, all, all of this comes with the, uh, with the wisdom of uh, learning as we continue down this great path of life. So I have to ask you for the sixth question, what advice could you possibly give your younger self that you've learned today that, that would help you sort of, if you could tell them yesterday, that would be useful for tomorrow? I would say learn, <clears throat> learn how you learn mm -hmm. because everybody learns in a different way. And if you try to put yourself into someone else's uh, orbit, uh, you're probably not going to do as well as they did, even though you might admire them, because mm -hmm. you're not taking advantage of your innate abilities. And uh, that makes all the difference in the world. I, I tell young people all the time when deciding on a career, you know, spend some time assessing you know, what your talents are, what your unique skills are, and don't just do what your friends are doing. Don't just do what your daddy and mommy want you to do. But do what you're qualified to do based on your skills and the way that you learn. And if you do that, you're going to go much further and much faster. Excellent advice. I wish I would have had it about 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> My name is uh, Jacob Gaffney. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Housing Wire. I'm joined with Secretary Ben Carson. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to uh, hearing more from your very valuable staff that I know you're very proud of working with. Uh, this is one in a series of six conversations. Secretary Carson, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me.